Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. But we believe we was called to Summer Avenue, the Heights. Hey, Berkeley, um, in those areas that, that touch Summer Avenue. And um, it's always been our express purpose uh, that we wanted to bring shalom, a little bit of God's divine peace, a little bit of more of his divineness, his divine aroma, um, and to let that impact this area in a way that brings healing in a lot of different areas, that, that, that the presence of Jesus and his followers um, in more mass and more number and more effectiveness uh, would bring a little more wholeness um, that looks like what we will one day get to when we are in the new Jerusalem the new Jerusalem. You see what I'm doing? You see, you see what I'm doing there? You see what I'm doing there? Um, and so we, um, we're here. It's because uh, we spent the past four or five weeks kind of getting ourselves ready. Um, next week, um, I'll, I'll begin to ask you personally uh, what your particular commitment could look like to that campaign. It's because in this first phase, we just want to make a $3 million investment to seeing God's peace come to Summer Avenue. And we believe he's led us to a specific building um, that is specifically located and strategically located um, so that we might be able to do that. Um, So that uh, for generations, not just for our tenure, amen, but for generations, that corner can be used to do and to receive the ministry of Jesus. Amen, somebody. And so uh, that's what you've kind of been walking into. I'm holding this because there's a whole lot I can't say um, because I don't have the time to say. But if you uh, want to learn a little bit more about what we got going on and what we're trying to do, um, please pick up uh, one of those brochures and a coffee mug on us, though we would advise you to wash delicately. Amen. Somebody. (laughs) Um, So we are here. Um, I take a big detour to set up today's message just by talking about the most wonderful time of the year. Did y'all know that people is already playing holiday music? You know, we gotta, we gotta start checking people's priorities, man. It is not time for holiday music yet. I think, who, who, how many of y'all start playing after Thanksgiving? I'm an after Thanksgiving kind of guy, right? You know what I'm saying? But, Anyway, some, some people's most wonderful time of the year has already commenced. It's begun uh, with after kind of Halloween. Um, but shout out to Kayla and all the wonderful team that put our um, trunk or treat together. Did y'all enjoy yourself? We appreciate you. That was really well done. I had fun with y'all dancing. No, y'all see, that's because y'all ain't got the moves. But you see, the whole Johnson family was out there representing. You know, we was like, because we got, we not only have Jesus, but we got the requisite moves to go along with it. Amen. Um, But uh, it is the most wonderful time of the year, I guess. But I'm not talking about the holidays. I'm talking about midterm elections. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, amen, amen. Uh, yeah, how many of y'all know it's midterm elections, right? And doesn't the church just love a good election? <laughs> you, should have, you should have laughed at that point. Uh, but praise God, we survived elections. Um, but one of the things as, uh, what, what is my morning show? Now, as long as I've been preaching to you, y'all should know what I watch in the mornings. 
Today show, okay, all right, come on, man. Give me, give me a little holder. You know what I'm saying? Give me a little Craig. What's, what's my other lady name? Savannah, yeah, yeah, give me some Savannah. But anyway, um, you know, as I was drinking my cup of coffee, um, I learned recently, of course, that it is midterms. And uh, what many have come to understand is just record turnout, right? As of November 3rd, I think 35.5 million Americans had already been to the ballot. And what people have seen, um, those who are experts in that area, is that this is a continuation of a lot of record breaking. So in 2014, uh, they experienced 39% of the total voting age population came out to vote, but in 2018, uh, it went up 10%. And then we obviously see now in 2022, this is skyrocketing. And so I was reading the US News World Report and, and uh, you know, just, just perusing. And uh, why is it that so many people are turning out to vote? Why, y'all? Everybody say, why, Pastor Tim? Well, let me tell you. It's because they actually believe that what they're voting for matters. That's why they're showing up. And they actually believe that their vote matters. And that's why they're responding, and that's why they're showing up. Now, if you're new to the avenue, uh, the rest of us, that's why they collectively gas when I said midterms, because they know that this church is not a very politically charged church. Um, though I would take the time to say that uh, we do love a good politics uh, for some good sanctification. I love, I can't wait till y'all got to vote on your next president and I got to pastor you through that and remind you that all you Republicans in here, you can't force the Democrats out of this room. And I want to remind all of you who love using the opportunity and the right to vote. How many of y'all take the opportunity and the right to vote? Amen. You don't have to be shaming here. I love you. Put your hand up. You like voting. Come on here. That's all right. I want you. Hey, but I got to remind some of y'all in your enthusiasm not to shame the people who also take the right not to vote. Mm. Because if the avenue is doing what the avenue is truly doing, then we got some Republicans, we got some Democrats, we got some independents, we got some non-voters, but we got everybody who loves Jesus. So I just wanted to pause and remind you real quick. Amen, somebody. Okay, I digress. Why are these people showing up? They're showing up, they're responding because they think the cause is worthy and they think that their voice matters and it's being recorded. When we get to Nehemiah, this is exactly what we're going to see here today. In the first two chapters, we've just really zoomed in on this personal kind of call for Nehemiah. The book opens and we see God's people who are now in exile, his covenant people, those people who he swore to be their long-suffering, patient, I got to... Y'all don't even know how to quantify or codify the type of love I have for my people, so I'm going to create a word, hesed, look it up, right? This loving kindness, this steadfast faithfulness, right? You know, every relationship you in, whether it's platonic or it's romantic, if your lover or your spouse or your friend stops doing what you want them to do, what you do, you leave, oh, but I don't love like that. I'm different. And so my covenant people, because of their faithlessness, they found themselves in exile. Nehemiah, he's now in the capital of Syria. Everybody, Nehemiah's a middle class. He probably drive a 2022 Taurus, you know what I'm saying? The upgraded version, not the old version, but the upgraded version, you know what I'm saying? He got a good job. He works for the king. He has status. He is respected. But he hears news in chapter 2 that the covenant 
homeland and his covenant people are left exposed. Jerusalem is in shambles. And now Nehemiah is burdened for the homeland of his ancestors. He's burdened for his people. And now he requests the king, would you allow me to go back? And so what we see in the first two chapters of Nehemiah is a very personal kind of burden and mandate. Um, But we're going to move because what chapter three does for us is it kind of records the building and the repairing of the walls. Everybody say, by all the people. Everybody say, by all the people. So this thing is moving from a personal burden to a corporate burden. And it's just going to record how they rebuild the wall by using all the people of Judah. And it's going to really, if you read the rest of Nehemiah, I think it's 13 chapters. It's a quick read. You should read it, right? I, we, haven't, we haven't done our traditional expo- expositional preaching and expository preaching line by line, verse by verse. But it's a very short narrative read. Um, it's not real hard. It's only got a couple shan ballads and shagalaga laga waga waggas You know what I'm saying? And y'all know what y'all do with that. Y'all just skip over it. So don't worry about it, right? Just read it. Um, But one of the things you will read is that in Nehemiah, that all the people now feel the burden and they're encountering a whole lot of opposition. Um, And how many of y'all know that anywhere where God has an initiative, there's going to be some forces against it. Amen, somebody. How many of y'all have walked with God long enough that when you started to, to make covenants to do things more faithfully or to do missions or to serve more uh, uh, correctly, you felt the opposition coming. You know what? I'm going to start waking up early in the morning and reading my word before I go to work. And then all of a sudden, all the kids in the house wake up before you wake up. Now, what? Now, how that is? Now, everybody always in the room watching cartoons. I got to wake y'all up. And the time I start committing to seeking God early in the morning, everybody won't wake up anymore. How many of y'all live long enough to feel some opposition? You know what? I want to start being nice to my boss. And then all of a sudden, all kinds of hell starts happening to you on the workplace. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? When you start to make commitments and covenants to live more faithfully for Jesus, you could expect opposition. Amen, lights and walls. Amen. But this account, once again, is recorded in Scripture, really to capture this idea of how the Israelites as a collective group answered Nehemiah's call and they believed that God was in that opportunity, right? And so what we're gonna do is really just, we're not gonna be here long, (laughs) just 60 minutes, (laughs) I'm just playing. Um, But really what this story does when it takes its turn in Nehemiah 3 is it really starts highlighting all of the fun things that we love to do in 2022. How many of y'all like to be committed to stuff? Amen, somebody, right? Um, you know, you know uh, how many of y'all, let, let, me, let me rephrase it. How many of y'all know some people uh, who lack the gift of commitment? Okay, all right, I got to laugh, I got to chuckle. Some of y'all was like, I'm not going to participate. <laughs> but we know showing up is just, it's not a virtue of our generation. We do what we feel, you know what I'm saying? If I feel like doing it, if I said I was going to do it, but all of a sudden I feel like I don't want to do it no more, I don't do it. You know, once upon a time, we used to say, word is bond, right? You know what I'm saying? I just, I, I know I said that, but I just want to apologize, sister. I didn't really mean that at the moment, right? 
Commitment is hard, right? But this story is going to highlight commitment because we don't always like showing up. This story is going to talk about community. And I'm not just talking about real community. I'm not, ta- I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about fake community, faux community. I'm talking about real community. Community that shows up and does it with you. Community that doesn't just enable you and co-sign you, right? Because a lot of people say they want community. What they really want is just a bunch of fans. I just want people around me who always gas me up and who always just tell me to keep doing what I'm doing. How many of y'all know that's not real community? That's not real community. You got to get you a group of people around you who actually love you so much that they'll sit in the mud with you and they'll be able to correct you when you're getting a little bit left. That's real community. And we'll talk about collaboration. You know, we, we are in a time filled with individuals who do their own thing. I, I promise you. I am numero uno. If you know me, you walk with me. I, I literally, I only think about the stuff I want to do. <laughs> it's true. I don't even try to be mean-hearted with it. I just get so excited about stuff. I'm like, were you talking to me? <laughs> I just got to do my thing. I was telling, we were um, doing officer training. And I think I said that. Lee was leading us. He was like, hey, man, which, which one of these attributes are your positives? What do you think is your negatives? I was like, man, I, I think it's a positive. I, I am driven. But, man, when I see that bullseye, I don't really see nothing else. She's like, we got to get it, right? And so what God's kingdom work requires is not a bunch of individuals. It requires collaboration. So that means that we all have to kind of sacrifice a little bit of our individual things to do a special thing and a special work. And so what I really want to tell you today, Alex, you want to put it up real quick. You know, I can read it better than I could probably come off the cuff. Is that Nehemiah 3 is just about this. It's that the community committed to collaborate together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a lot of C's in there, Jay, you know what I'm saying? But I just thought it would probably be easier to digest if I kept the C's in there. But the community of God committed to collaborate together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Like I said before, let's move forward. The story moves from a personal response from Nehemiah. He feels this burden. He feels his brothers and sisters. They are they're struggling in the homeland, but it's moving to a corporate response. And first thing I want to do is I just want to praise God for leaders because we need leaders. Amen, somebody. We still need front runners. We still need, uh, Sam knows this, we need wedge busters. We need dudes who be the R4, come down there, running through the middle. Oh, boom. We need somebody to go before us, right? It's not our natural instinct to break away and to actually uh, 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 remove ourselves from comfort and actually lead the charge. How many of y'all know we got a, a whole lot of followers? Well, I'll go if you go. Well, you do it first. Tell me how that sandwich was. But somebody got to try it first. When they put something new on the menu, somebody got to go in there and they got to experiment and praise God. We need, still need people. We still need leaders. And let me look at some of your eyes in this room. Some of you are exactly who I'm talking to. We need some people who go first. We still need courageous men and women to follow. And who is it? And who are you? And today I want to challenge you, what is God calling you to? You can't always wait on somebody else. Who's going to go first, yo? Why don't you right now just pause? 
I want you to write down three names on your sheet of people who God has used sovereignly and spiritually in your life who have gone before you and that you've been able to follow. Write it down. Don't look at me. Go now. Put it in your phone. And I want you to text them this week and just say, I thank God for you. I just thank God for you. I thank God for your willingness to submit and be obedient to the Spirit. And you know what? If I've not known what else to do, I just follow your example. When I don't know how to raise my kids, I just think about what you do with yours. And when I don't know what to do in my quiet time, I think about your prayer life. I literally mimic the prayers I've heard you pray. I've watched you lead small group studies, and I thank God for it, and I just do what I've seen you model, and I thank God for your leadership and your courage in my life. We still need people who go first. Nehemiah was first, but even though we need people who go first, we got to have people who follow. Amen so much. We got to have the whole group has got to respond in order to accomplish these God-sized visions and things that we've been called to. One person, one man, one woman could not complete the task of rebuilding this wall. We needed everybody collectively. We needed the whole power of the entire community. Everybody say, we need the power of the entire community. So we got to get some commitment, which is hard. Can I just tell you, I don't have experience in this, but getting a whole bunch of people to do one thing is pretty hard. That's what they tell me, because I certainly don't have experience in this. Amen, somebody. Come on, how many of y'all know just getting, your, just getting all the six people in your house to get ready to go to church in the morning, that is a task in and of itself. Can I get an amen, somebody? It's hard, Lord, it's hard. And we need some commitment, right? Let's talk about commitment real quick. What's commitment require? I think it just requires courage. I love the fact that Nehemiah, in, you get it in chapter one and two, it, he, wasn't, he got sad and wasn't really juiced up. He wasn't jazzed up to go before the king. He was actually a little nervous and actually he started putting some disclaimers in his request before he asked. He was like, now listen, you might not feel me on this, but I'm gonna just ask you anyway, is it okay if I leave and go to my homeland? You get that with Queen Esther, right? You know what I'm saying? She knew that, hey, if I perish, let me perish, but I'm going to see the king. I think anytime God calls you on the waters, it's just, it's gonna require courage. It's not easy. How many of y'all live long enough walking with Jesus to know the stuff he usually calls to you ain't never easy? Somebody show me where following Jesus remedial class at. Let me go to that one. Can I just go to the beginning class? You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all feel like y'all always in AP following Jesus? It's like, Lord, can I, can I go see the registrar? Where, where is the defined registrar's office? I need to get out this class. No, baby. Ain't but one level to following Jesus. And I have been telling y'all over and over and over again, following Jesus is the most rewarding thing you could ever do, but it is definitely the hardest thing you've ever put your mind to. That's why it's called faith. It requires courage. It requires reprioritization. We saw this. Nehemiah gets the call. He leaves middle-class cushy job. He goes to um, disrepair, dangerous Jerusalem. And I told y'all there's opposition. There's so much opposition. Nehemiah 4 says that they would have their work equipment in one hand and they would have their weapons in the other. Now you talk about that. 
I don't want to preach right there, but let me just tell y'all. Some of y'all, hmm. I was just making sure, you know. (laughs) Could have been mine, you know what I'm saying? You know, I think we have finally, one of the good things that's come out of our culture It's just really helping us understand our limitations. What I'm trying to invite y'all to, I don't want to be misconstrued. I'm inviting you to participate in a fight that's already been fixed. God's going to do what he want to do on Summer Avenue, whether he got you or not. Whether he got your little 25 cent or not, he going to do it. And we told y'all in Haggai, if he want money to get to place, he'll make the pagan people figure out how to pay for our church. I ain't worried, but you get an invitation to participate into something amazing. One of the things, I think the amazing thing about our generation or one of the most helpful things that has come forward is us embracing our limits. We can't do everything. We shouldn't think we do everything. Nobody should be working 24 hours of the day. You don't have to read your Bible 24 hours of the day, right? You have limits and we can embrace those and we can understand those things, right? But I also want to tell you, sometimes you find yourself in seasons where the restoring of your soul is going to come not when you lay down your work material or your weapon, but while you got both of them in your hand. See, that's a true demonstration of the power of God's grace. It's because guess what, y'all? Some of us can't afford to go have 24 counseling sessions a year. We just can't afford it. And some of us can't afford to go on vacation three times a year when we're just overwhelmed. Sometimes some of us just got to experience this sufficiency of God's grace while we keep grinding through. because he's able to do just what he said he could do. Whether you have access to the modern medicine, whether you have access to all the podcasts, whether you got access to all the people, his grace is still sufficient. You just keep holding on, my sister. You keep holding on, my brother. You stay faithful and do what you know to do. You keep your work material in this hand until God say lay it down, and you keep your weapon in the other hand, and you keep moving forward and just do the next right thing in front of you, and you know the fat battle is fixed. It requires courage. Commitment requires reprioritization. And those things are not always easy. When you get the call, I was sitting over there, and I knew I was getting ready to preach. And I was like, man, that word call, when he calls, when he calls, when he calls. You know, when people call you, are you sitting there usually waiting on the call? No. Usually, when your cell phone ring, it's so funny. My kids, I'll just be honest with you. I usually got one thing going on, another thing. They're like, Daddy, your phone's ringing. I'm like, baby, it's okay. They're like, Daddy, just, it's ringing, mean you got to get it. Because I ain't never ready for my phone to be ringing. It's always usually interrupting something I am currently doing. Calls are not convenient, is what I'm saying to you. When God calls, it's never at the right time. 
in your eyes is usually at the most inopportune times. He's usually interrupting something. As a matter of fact, think about when he effectually called you to salvation. What did he do? You was in the club. It's going down. Meet me at the, hey, it's going. And then all of a sudden, he interrupted you. You weren't sitting by there waiting on salvation. You were underneath the keg. And he said, hey, I want to show you something better. He interrupts. But when he calls and interrupts, it's always to invite you to something more fuller and richer. So he interrupts this crew. He says, hey, man, something's going on in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, you first. Can you rally the troops? Nehemiah rallies the troops. And they responded because they were committed. Who is the people that are responding? Let's just briefly revisit. This was not a call to all the nations. The Gergesites didn't show up. The Jebusites, the Shilohites, the Ammonites, they didn't all show up. The Israelites showed up. The covenant community showed up. And I'm going to be honest with you, in our time, space, and history, um, it is hard to know what to respond to because we are constantly being called to something. Everything wants our allegiance, and I want to be honest as a pastor, I don't sit here from my high perch and say, why aren't y'all just following Jesus all the time and doing all the right? I know you have seven million different things fighting for your allegiance and your commitment, and I know it's hard. But I want to tell you this. Just as John 10 says, my sheep know my voice. What God calls us to should be directly correlated by our identity. It's, we could be in the middle of a football game. I remember my son is getting, he's starting his football journey. My, 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 my other son is playing soccer. Lily Grace is playing her soccer too. Um, and it's funny, man, you, how many of y'all know? Y'all play whether it's rec league or high school or wherever. You can hear your people. It's funny. It could be 20,000 people in the stadium. And mama's like, you better run, Tim! I love you, mama. You know. You know. And I want to tell you, I want to, first of all, I want you to keep developing this muscle and this instinct and your antennas. God never stops calling. And we got to keep developing and honing in our antenna to be able to discern when it's him calling us to what. Because he never stops. And I think if, if nothing else, I just want you to expect God's probably calling me to something. Pastor Tim, is God calling me to something today? Yes. Yes. I can at least help you with that. He's always calling, right? And so, you know, as he calls us, how do we learn to differentiate his voice from the other voices. We know our culture, and it's not just our culture from the beginning of time. We are prone to tribalism. We want a place to belong. We want something to be affiliated with. We want something to be a part of. I had a chance, me and Mike went to Atlanta about a month ago now, and uh, it was so funny. Stand up, Mike. I, I'm, I'm different, I, you know, I got my different swag today. But me and Mike walked into a dude, uh, into a room where about 50 other black men aged 35 to 55 who all looked like us. It was like, what? This is crazy. 
so many Jordans and snapbacks and chains and, you know, dudes with the, you know, kind of swag walk. It's like, man, it was just fascinating, right? He's like, man, these are my people. He said, am I lying, Mike? I'm just, golly, bro. What I think I am the exception of, I found all the rest of my tribe, right? And I think that that, that instinct to be where you belong or to be with people who share something in common with you, that's not always wrong. It goes left when those things go against the glory of God. It goes left when you put your tribe above the ultimate tribe. But ultimately, it's a good instinct. And what God invites us into as his covenant family is not tribes that are motivated by uh, certain practices or ethnicities or certain momentums that have to do with culture. But our tribe that we've been kind of weaving this thread through this whole sermon series, we are the people from heaven who are living in exile. This is why this is so much, it's so important for us to preach through. This is like, man, we look at all those poor Israelites in exile. But I'm so glad in the 21st century that we don't have to live in exile. This is our story. We're not in our home. Amen, somebody. This is why it makes so much sense to us. And this is why sometimes we need that reminder because some of us get too comfortable, don't we? We get our little cushy little lies and we, we start riding. Yeah, we grooving and moving. It's like, no, bro, this ain't it. This ain't it. Man, we want to enjoy what we have by God's grace, but this is not our home. We're a different people. And I love how all the way through Nehemiah 3, it's so familial. The text is so familiar, right? You read and you have all these genealogies in the Bible, right? That, uh, to be honest with you, when I'm doing my reading, um, usually when I get to the genealogies, I just skip. Next chapter. Next chapter. And Shalama Lama Lama had 600 represented, and Bazaba Zaba Zaba had 400 represented. I'm like, skip, 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 skip. But I, this one was different. It was not just a genealogy. Look at the verse that I had Megan read for us. Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. The, and I'll keep going. The fish gate was rebuilt by the son of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired the next section, right? Um, this is not just your traditional genealogy. This is an account of the people who put their hands in the work of God. Can you imagine the pride? I don't know if Uriah or, or, or Hassanah lived long enough to see this written account, but could you imagine the pride they felt, having been able to say, I, I was accounted for. I read these period pieces, right? You know, and especially like the, the uh, uh, of, of like older times and you know, these tribes when it was time to call your band of men up, you know what I'm saying? You had to stand up. Where the hands at? You gonna fight or you gonna, and everybody knew. Uh-oh, hands said they ain't rolling, bro. All right, all right, next. But you, you had to stand up and you had to be accounted for. I love this. There's no anonymity here. There's pride, and we are from totally different cultures. Obviously, we are not from um, this kind of honor culture that existed in, um, you know, way back when Babylon, 
but I love how the Bible calls us to this weird blend, and I will get in more into it later, but everything that, as I kept reading Nehemiah 3, only thing I keep thinking for was Joshua 24. As for me and my house, this is what we do. My sons built the sheep gate. Our family built that corner of the wall. We took pride in this. This is what we do. Lex, I don't know if you got a chance to get that picture. Did you get that picture? Let me show you one of my favorite pictures. I didn't clear this with with my uh, genus people. <laughs> this is from Discipleship Hour a couple weeks ago. And Gina is teaching the kiddos about Queen Esther and the preparation that she went through to even go before the king. my family and that picture means something to me not because of the people in it but it's because of what they're doing you don't know that there's a bible in my house from Gina's grandmom it's got all kind of papers tatted on it it's from Lily McLean who my daughter's named after Bible gets passed on to Gina's mom, who's been teaching VBS and Sunday school and running daycares and kids' ministry since, since I've known her. I think about my parents, who before my dad even knew how to pastor, he was leading the choir. My mom was teaching Sunday school. My aunt, who had never been to nobody's college, don't know no seminaries, don't know none of the white preachers, the white books y'all read, but she sat down with a spiral notebook from Family Dollar, and I used to watch her write out her lesson plans, and she used to teach me the Word of God. That's what my family did, and that's what they passed on to me. I don't know what you and your family do, but this is what me and my family do. That's where our priorities are, and it means something to us. What is the core drive of your family? What are the Smiths about? What are the Tuckers about? What are the Jacksons about? Where would you stand up and place your fealty? And when the accounts are written, where will you stand? Or will you just wash out in the midst of an American secularism that has a whole bunch of people pluralistically believing a lot of different things, co-signing everything, or will you have something that history will say they stood on that? And even if they ridicule us for all this and all that, what may be, I think, in 2080, when somebody's coming to faith at 3476, I want them to know that some people gave a little bit out of their lanyard. Some people went without to make sure there would be a place that they could nurture and receive the ministry of Jesus. Because it was important to them. I love this. There are names in that chapter that are missing. And there are names that are there. What's your story?
What are you committed to? There's this Tim Keller sermon that I promise y'all, I'll put it on my Facebook page letter. I have listened to it seven times probably over the past 10 years. It's probably the most important work on identity I've ever experienced. But one of the things he does is he say, you know, he was talking to a young lady. He said the parents brought her in there to talk to him. And, uh, you know, Pastor Keller, she's just been out of shape. She didn't get invited to go to the prom. Now, this girl had been in the youth group. She'd been baptized. She was a covenant child. She made a profession of faith. Tim Keller said, I believe she was a Christian. But I sat with her. I walked with all the blessings and all the benefits of being God's child. And, and then all she could do, her retort was, I, I hear all that. But if nobody asks me to the eighth grade prom, what am I going to do with myself? And what Keller says he began to notice is this. Like, man, that girl, her identity was like a stack of cards. And who she was as a covenant child of God was just one of those cards. And it wasn't the one on top of the deck that she was truly living out of. This is what I think this project is calling us to. It's like, which one of the cards are we truly living out of? Our identity as his covenant child or 40-year-old who works at GE or mom of two? Which one is your core identity? And I think this is what it calls us to. And we are the people who experience inner shalom that are responding by hopefully building a place where everybody can experience what's already happened in our heart. It's calling us commitment. It calls us to reevaluate community in our real core identity. And it's going to cause us to collaborate. Let me wrap up. Give me about five minutes and then we'll shut it down. Everybody loves a good collabo. Everybody say collabo. Walk this way. Okay, come on, man. Somebody know. Somebody know what I'm talking about in here. Who collabed on that? All right, all right. I was just making sure DMC and BC boys, right? We love a good collaboration. No, who? Who? Aerosmith. Got, sorry, Aerosmith. Sorry. Somebody changed my notes, y'all. It was, it was, should have been, should have been Aerosmith. I'm sorry. Everybody say we got to do it together. We got to do it together. You know, one of our definitions for discipleship, the one I love to use, especially collectively, is this, at the Ave, we're committed to growing. I, I think we just pause right there. If you're a Christian and you don't want to grow, we, we need to have a little conversation. Just, we're going to have just, you know, a sweet conversation over some Perkins. You'll love that. But if you're a Christian, you should want to be growing in Christ's likeness. But here's the thing, when you are a part of God's church, we got to do it together, right? We're committed to grow together for the sake of kingdom advancement. And this is just like any other team in all of history. You teams work together for a common goal, right? And so whether we're building a building or not, we are a team. And I think some of y'all, whether you go to this church, whether you're just visiting, you're going back to your home church, just you're a part of God has called you uniquely to a specific place in time with another random group of people who all love him to be a part of their team. Now, can they say that you are really holding up the end of your team bargain? 
Be a part of that team. If that's where God has you, be a part of that team. They don't want you to just check and click the podcast. They don't want you to just get, throw some money and get out the way and be silent. They want you to be in the mud with them. Be a part of the team. And I love this. Some building the sheep gate, some building the tower. Everybody's not doing the same thing. First Corinthians 12, you know we need a diversity of gifts to make this thing happen. We're, this is not just an important series for us raising money, but I'm telling y'all, do you know how much it takes to make this thing go? Just one little service. I told y'all before, people waking up at 5.30 to be here by 6.30, people staying long after you leave to make sure it's ready for school tomorrow, a thousand different texts happening just so we can have baptism and not break our utensils. All the things are going on, and we're constantly in need of help. And guess what? As long as you have me as your pastor, I don't think I'm going to outsource all the help to professional people. I think I'm going to keep casting enough vision that keeps requiring all the hands to be on deck. And if you want to show up to a church where you got everybody doing the things for you, there are several great, amazing churches out there. This ain't one of them. It ain't one of them. You show up here, you need to put some gas in the car, my boy. How much you got on it? Amen. We got to work together. I want to shout out little Annie and Hallie. The islands are not here today, but... Uh, uh, man, as soon as they heard that we had um, money to raise, they started, they made a little lemonade stand. Raised a couple hundred dollars. Because it all matters and it's all working together. Let's close with this. Let's just look at the, the gospel implications of all this mumbo jumbo we talked about. Commitment, collaboration, and community. Let's just close with this. First of all, just want to let you know, because of the new covenant, we can all be the community of God at any time. Those of y'all who are still looking for tribes, looking for places where you really belong, right? You're not the right ethnicity. You, you didn't grow up on the right side of town. You don't have enough money. You don't have this. You can be a part of a community because of Jesus Christ who responded to his call to come and be the sacrifice for our sins. You can be a part of his community forever. For those of us who struggle with being mandated, being told, hey man, you need to do this. Well, once again, you, you've been invited into this big community, but I also just wanna encourage you. Jesus doesn't call you into his big community at the expense of your true self. He's not gonna make you be less of yourself to be a part of the whole. He takes you as you are, but he does perfect your true self. And I love John Mark Comer's definition of discipleship. It's really reformation. When you come and be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, he invites you to become the truest version of yourself. You don't know what it means to be yourself until you start following Jesus. By believing in Jesus, we have the opportunity to participate in work that has eternal consequences. Some of us have never won championships. Some of us never got promotions. Some of us have never been a part of anything that has been successful or noteworthy uh, or have gained any notoriety. But when we believe in Jesus and we respond to the call, we get to be a part of the most amazing thing to ever occur in all of human history. Amen, somebody. 
to the 21st century Christian who just believes everybody can believe what they want to believe and, and all be honky-dory. No, it's not true. Jesus does call us to solidarity. And there is unity in the midst of diversity, but it's still got to be some things that tether and hold us together. Ask the Lord how we're responding to that call. I'll close with this too as we come to the table. I meant what I said. You look at Nehemiah 3, and I, I can pretty doggone guarantee there's some names that didn't make it into Nehemiah 3. For whatever reason, some people didn't respond to the call. And some of y'all have been around long enough to know that there were some things that God was calling you to that you either ignored or passed over. You didn't respond. You were too scared. It cost you too much, and you passed on it. I just want to remind you today that Jesus has paid for your cowardice. Jesus took nails in his hands for every time that he called and you said no. For every time he called and you said it's the wrong time. For every time he called and you were preoccupied. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Because he was faithful in every way you were. You know what you do with that? You say, Lord, I want to be faithful. Just show me where. And then you know, even if you drop the ball tomorrow, as long as you have breath in your body, God is consistently calling you in to participate with him. So I want you to be courageous. I don't know whether that's in your job. I don't know whether that's in your parenting. I don't know whether that's being missional. I don't know whether that's moving into the next God-glorifying station of life. I'm telling you, God is calling in you into something. He's already paid for your lack of faithfulness, and he's giving you grace to be courageous.